Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of the Chase the Summit podcast. For those of you who don't know me, and maybe you've stumbled across this uh, podcast by accident, my name's Dave. I host a YouTube channel called Chase the Summit, where I talk mainly about fitness technology, some of my adventures in trail and ultra running, and also a little bit of ice climbing and some other stuff. I'm a father of three boys, and I live a somewhat crazy lifestyle of training for ultra marathons. So this podcast thing is kind of new for me. Uh, it's pretty exciting. I love talking to people, so I'm hoping to bring some guests on uh, and talk to them on here and possibly live on YouTube as well. On today's episode, I'll be regurgitating a conversation I had with Ray Maker, who is also known as DC Rainmaker. He runs a YouTube channel with over 200,000 subscribers. He's got a real in-depth written blog where he tackles fitness tech and other gear. Real interesting guy and I was super excited to have him on my live stream on YouTube and that's the audio you'll be listening to today. I should mention he lives overseas, I'm in the US, so there was a bit of a delay during the call uh, which made the conversation a little weird. I kind of ran over him a couple times but overall I think it went pretty well and I was super pumped to have him on the channel. Also, the audio in this episode might be a little bit hokey because I'll be using from the video and it wasn't the best quality, but I'm doing the best I can here, folks. Anyways, with that out of the way, sit back, relax, and here's Raymaker from DC Rainmaker. Welcome, Ray. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's all it's up and running now. It's, it's all good, right? Got, got past <laughs> the hump and nobody's screaming yet, so it's, that's all that matters. Yeah, we got a couple of people on the chat already. Um, little known fact, Ray and I just spoke for about, I don't know, what was that, 30 seconds, thinking we were actually live, when in fact, we weren't live. We were talking to my computer that was not streaming yet. So we're getting there. We, we were just gotta, testing. We were just yeah. being very, very thorough. That's it. Yeah, totally. We've, we've also done this like three, what, three times, trying to make sure our cameras are working, the microphones are working. A little bit of a technical hurdle getting on the air tonight, but we yeah. did it. For anyone who does, doesn't know who Ray is, which is probably none of you because you, you're subscribed or you're watching this channel, um, he reviews uh, fitness tech, GPS watches, uh, cycling things, which I'm not familiar with, but he is. <laughs> He's more of a triathlete than I am, uh, and he dives really deep into this stuff on his blog where he, he writes a ton. He's got pictures and info and really gets in-depth. Is And he also has a YouTube channel with over 200,000 subscribers. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. I really enjoy your videos and it's a little uh, intimidating because I've been watching you for like, I don't know, five, six years. And and I, I bought my first my first watch was a Garmin Phoenix 1, the original gangster, you know, the, the black thick one yep. that, that really stood off your wrist. <laughs> the OG, yeah. Oh yeah, I love that thing, I kind of miss it. Um, and I remember watching your videos and being like, yeah, I need that, that's the one, you know, as a hiker at the time. So um, yeah, uh, so we're gonna dive into all the fitness tech and stuff soon, but not right away. I wanna kind of go through your background because, uh, you know, selfishly, I'm a little bit curious as to what led you down this path of like, fitness tech and, and, and being so ingrained with the culture of fitness tech and with the manufacturers and everything. So uh, first off, let's talk about where you grew up. Seattle. So uh, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I uh, grew up just north of DC. Yeah, so the wrong, the wrong, um, the wrong Washington. So it's confusing. So uh, I actually grew up in Seattle and that's where I like have a lot of background from uh, skiing and, and did some cross country and, and high school and stuff like that. But then I, I basically stopped after high school in terms of cross country and running and didn't run for another decade. Um, literally didn't run at all. Um, and then eventually became overweight and all the things that happen when you, you know, leave high school and, and do non-sporty things. Um, 
And then 10 years later, I had a, a girlfriend at the time that was wanting to run a marathon. I got into being suckered to like run with her on, on some of these runs. And eventually like, you're like, well, if I'm doing this, I might as well just check off this stupid marathon box and, and be done with it. Right. And, uh, eventually now we fast forward like however many years later this is, uh, and you know, I've done Ironmans and all sorts of sports, uh, endurance type races. And it's kind of a, a bit of like an addiction of drug of sorts to once you get into endurance sports. And so, uh, along the way I, I started, um, I was working for Microsoft at the time and, uh, you know, being kind of in the, the geek realm sort of thing. Um, you look and see like what, what, gadget can you buy that will help me with this whole running thing? Because at the time, I was just using a very basic Timex watch, like just you know, just time, that's it. Um, and I kept it in Excel logbook uh, each each time I ran, and like the splits manually in my head for each mile around a given course I knew. Uh, and then eventually I went out and me, bought this Polar. You're telling me that DC Rainmaker had a Timex watch <laughs> in his lifetime. <laughs> I did. I had a very, very basic one. We're talking like this is like a ten dollar Timex watch was how I used to pace all of my initial runs. And I had gone out and I figured out the exact lap markers on this basically ten mile loop and a couple other courses nearby me. And I just would mentally remember each split as I went through to try to to figure out if it was getting faster or not. Like super basic, super non ideal way of training, but it worked in the grand scheme of things and ran the first marathon and, and all that goodness. And then eventually I went out and bought this polar watch. And at the time, I had basically was like, ah, this is, this is interesting, and had sent a really long email to a bunch of coworkers on this watch, um, and just to sort of my thoughts on it. And then I went out from there and bought the Garmin 305, the you know old reddish, uh, orange color watch, like the one of the the main staples of the Garmin lineup that like I think really kind of propelled them forward. Uh, and they did the same thing. I wrote a big long email to my coworker friends with all this detail they didn't really want to know um, on how well it worked or didn't work. Uh, and then one day I decided to copy and paste that into a post because uh, I'd started a, I don't know, like six or eight months before uh, a blog about becoming an Ironman, like going to my first Ironman race uh, in the whole year leading up to it. And so I just took that email and pasted it into a post and that became my first review. Uh, and little did I know that that would actually become like a, the starting point of this entire thing. So you mentioned that you were kind of a nerd and you, you worked for Microsoft. So was it in the realm of like fitness tech or was it just like, like databases and you know? Not at all, like no. <laughs> no, I worked in a yeah, data center, data center design and all sorts of good, good stuff like that. Uh, uh, so not, nothing to do with fitness tech or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's interesting you mentioned um, your coworkers asking because that, that is kind of what drove me to the YouTube channel. My wife and her friends and anybody who wanted a watch would text me and be like, hey, man, I heard you're the guy to talk to about a GPS watch. And I, I, had, I didn't have a YouTube channel yet. And so I thought maybe I could share my opinion with people online and maybe that would be worthwhile. So it's interesting you started that way as well. Um, so what drove you, when did you realize, hey, this could be a job? That's like, that's a huge, that's a big change or big shift in your career to say, I'm going to quit my day job and just be like an online blogger about GPS watches. When you say that out loud, it sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think that was, uh, you know, so I started, I think the blog in like 2007, I think, something like that, 2008, somewhere in that range. Um, I had to look up exact post, but uh, a while back. And then I'd say it took like, five years, give or take, until the point where it was like, oh, this is, 
this is now something that I could jump to from my full-time job. Uh, but like most like endurance athletes, um, you just simply add more training stimulus to it. And you just try to do two things at once, right? So I was doing a full-time job that had me traveling effectively 50 weeks of the year around the world. You know, it could be like in Brazil one week and then China the next and Africa the next. And so very, very like high workload job. And then I also had this thing that was running these crazy long posts and all that kind of stuff at the same time. And I think around like 2014, 2015, somewhere in that time frame, I sort of realized that I just simply couldn't do them both anymore. I loved doing both of them. They were great, but I had to like give one of them up because you're just working in some way, shape or form, you know, 20 hours a day, every single day. And there's no such thing as weekends anymore. It's just simply this never ending sitting in front of a computer, um, which is funny because you think like a blog about sports tech, it's just a lot of computer time at the end of the day. Hey man, um, so. I, I totally, I totally get it. Like I'm only, I don't even do a blog anymore. I have a blog, but I stopped. I, I don't even contribute to it anymore. And I, like every video though is like, I don't know, for a 20 minute video, I'm like five, six hours of work, you know, it's kind of crazy. And maybe I'm just bad at editing and filming. Yep. I mean, judging by my videos, I'm always like chop, 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 chop. You know, I'm, I'm that guy who's like, cut out everything. <laughs> you got to cut up everything. But um, yeah, maybe I can just be more efficient. But yeah, that's, you know, at, at a certain point, you got to just make it, make it your life, right? So um, you've got a yeah. family, right? Right? You've got a couple of kids. Is that right? Yep. So I got the three kids, a four-year-old, almost three-year-old and a uh, one-year-old. So it's it's busy, um, but we did we made the the switch over, if you will, before before having kids. So um, basically, that took about a year and a half, two years. So um, I was living in Paris at the time, and you know, going from uh, being on a visa with Microsoft to switching over to doing your own thing, a, a blog, no less. Like in in the French world of um, entrepreneurial stuff, like you <laughs> say the word blog, and they're like, no. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not giving you a visa for that. Who are you kidding? Um, so that, that process took a long time. It literally took 19 months from start to finish of a bunch of legal, lawyery, hoop jumping, and all the things to get that online so I could have a proper visa to live in France and have a blog. Um, it was a whole thing. And so once that was all done, then I finally left my, uh, my day job at Microsoft in, I think, 2016 or so. So I guess four years ago now, 2016, 2017. Uh, and that's, that's sort of like when I made that churn. But so in my head, you know, people always ask, like, um, were, you, were you afraid to make that jump over? Um, I was ready to make that jump 19 months earlier. So by the time I got to, like, actually announcing that I was no longer there, I was definitely, definitely there. I still loved my day job, but I was ready to make that transition in terms of time management and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So if I were to ask one of your kids, what does your dad do? How would they explain it? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Someone I think had asked uh, our oldest daughter that somewhat recently. And um, she just said something about watches. She's like, he has lots of watches. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's it. I think she'll probably say like, you know, he rides bicycles or something like that. But um I don't think she really understands at that age what I do. She just knows I have a lot of watches, a lot of bicycles, and a lot of action cameras. Uh, but that's, <laughs> that's about it. So you were living in Seattle. What prompted that move to go overseas? Like what made you want to just jump ship? <laughs> 
So I was actually did the opposite of most Microsoft people. I left um, Seattle when I joined Microsoft and went to Washington DC, which is where the name DC Rainmaker came from. And so oh, my jump there from Washington DC to overseas um, <clears throat> was from DC. And so that's one of those things like, you know, probably hopefully not to ruin one of your questions, but you know, what's, where does DC Rainmaker come from? And it's literally as simple as you're, you're typing in screen names at night on the blog spot and you're trying to type something that works and you're like, Raymaker, nope, that's taken. Rainmaker, nope, that's taken. I'm living in DC, DC Rainmaker, oh, that works, success. <laughs> and that's, that's it. Like if I had thought this would become more than you know, 12 people reading something, I might've thought a little bit more about it. I gotta, I gotta ask, you've been doing this for a long time, okay? Has it, has it gotten old yet? Do you, do you dread when a Garmin box shows up at your front door or is it still exciting? <laughs> It depends on the box. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it just depends. Like, I think there are, and it's not like specific to Garmin or to any given company. It's just, I think there are some products, um, uh, you know, there are some products like even this week that, you know, something that showed up and it was just one of those like, you don't, it just, it's just work. Like there was nothing, there's no part of it, and I haven't released a, a review or thing on it yet, and the embargo's passed, and I, I will at some point. Um, but I sat there this week and kind of went, you know what? I just don't enjoy anything about this product, um, and I <laughs> don't really want to spend my entire day to do something about this product. And not that the product was bad. It's just I had zero excitement for it, and this was a type of review that would take an immense amount of work, um, and... I knew the payoff in terms of like views or, you know, all that kind of stuff would have been very, very small. And it's tough because you're sitting there like, I should do this. Like if it was purely from a like structured business standpoint, it'd be like someone would go, yeah, you, you need to do this because you have to do it sort of thing. Then I sit there and I'm like, well, if I do this, I'm going to be up until three, four in the morning and I got to turn around and do something for the next day that's coming out. And, 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 and at some point you're like, you know what? I'm in theory, my own boss. I'm just, I'm going to do this on my timetable. And if it goes out this week, great. If it goes out next week, that'll be fine too. And uh, I think there are certain products like that. And I, I think it goes with the seasons. Like sometimes I'm like, yes, I can't wait to do this type of product. Um, and that's the wrong season for that. And then other times you're like, great, I'm on my seventh GPS watch review and you know, like four weeks. Um, I just want to write about something different. So it, it kind of like ebbs and flows a little bit. Yeah, that was just that, that that happened just recently with uh it was at the Polar Vantage V2. Uh the, the Garmin uh Instinct Solar was right before that, right? No, it wasn't right before that. But it was for me because I got it got it kind of late. Um so <laughs> for me, my life, uh I get the I get to watch the day before. So I have like twenty four hours to get to crank so go for a run, get some data, compare it like it's it's such a grind. But I, I totally get it. Um so do you have any hobbies that are not fitness tech related that some, that might shock somebody? Are do you, for instance, do you build uh, boats and bottles? You know, you know, the people who do those things. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. It's, I, I, I think like the closest I can get to that would be, uh, you know, like out in this, in the sports world or skiing, which I, I love doing. Um, and then also definitely a bit of an aviation nut. So I like oh, cool. airplanes and I started down that road many, many years ago on, on trying to get my pilot's license and I uh, haven't quite circled back to finishing that. Um, so like that's be my like secret hobby of sorts is aviation kind of stuff. Um, I could sit there all day long and just do aviation stuff um, without getting anything productive done. Uh, but that would be my little thing. 
do you do you find that your your blog is still the bread and butter and YouTube is just like a companion to that or are you trying to expand both equally? It's tough. Like when we talk about like balance of time, in some ways that becomes similar to that same position I was in like five or six years ago with having like daytime, you know, full day job versus the site. And if you asked me that two years ago, I would have said YouTube was like literally making McDonald's money uh, equivalency, <laughs> right? In terms of like, it just wasn't useful. Like you, and admittedly, I didn't put much effort into it, but still like in, in the grand scheme of things, at, at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't a point where it was going to, I just, just nothing. But now in the last two years, as you mentioned, like you know, subscribers have blown up and it's, it's way bigger now. And, um, and I think with that, I actually have to put effort into it. Um, like if you look back at my videos from like three plus years ago, they were literally all one-shot videos. Like literally, I would hold up a camera, point it at something, and talk about it for eight to 12 minutes in a single single shot, no cuts, and upload that and call it done. And three plus what, years ago, sounds, that was... That sounds liberating, man. You know, no editing, just, just get it done, put it out there. That's a beautiful thing. I, I, it was, and uh, it's still somewhat, I, I do that to some degree for certain types of videos, like the hands-on user interface type videos, but um, like that, uh, you could get away with that three plus years ago in this space, but these days you can't by and large. As a core, like as a review video, I can't just pick up a watch and say, this is my review and just hold a camera in front of it for, 10 minutes and call it done. Um, uh, it just doesn't, doesn't really excel that much for the most part. And so with that is, as you mentioned, like the, the time to do video, it just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And certainly there are some videos that like, boom, like a pop this out in an hour or two, just because the way the content flows and it's super quick and easy. But the vast majority of videos take four to 10 hours of, of editing and processing and rendering and all the kind of stuff. And you have to balance these two. And I think, uh, you know, right now, like the site is, uh, I don't want to say more important because they're both equally important, but if you were to like put it in, in a cup of stuff, the site's a bigger cup of stuff and uh, YouTube is a medium cup of stuff, but it's growing so quick that I have to, on a literally daily basis, multi-times a day, decide what I'm going to put in which bucket um, and, you know, what, what product reviews end up being both what product reviews end up being just one or the other. Um, and yeah. it's, it's a tough balance. And I don't have like a good answer there. Like long-term, that's not sustainable. I know that. I don't know what that solution is though. I think we talked about this the other day. And, you know, my goal is to grow, you know, I don't want to make garbage, but I want to grow the channel to a point that could either be a part-time job or a full-time job or something like that. Um, and so finding the time to, like you said, dedicate, it's just unbelievably hard and the level, the caliber of like your videos, Des fit, uh, like all those videos are so incredible. Des does a great job, um, that it's brought the yeah. whole, like all, all ships have risen with the tide and, uh, and it's the quality yeah. is expected. Now you can't just shoot with your iPhone and put it out there and expect, you know, I, it would probably be successful if it's good content, but having high quality and good audio goes a long way I think and you're doing a great job at it no I appreciate that yeah I totally agree I think the that that quality bar continues to go up um, collectively by everyone uh, you know yourself and Des and um, I see Matt Legrand in the um, the chat as well as another example yeah. of one where it's just like the cinematography is keeps stepping up and up and um, you know sometimes sometimes I'm like boom I'm nailing this like my video yesterday with the toaster and stuff like that like it's like that was great. this is <laughs> on point and then 
<laughs> sometimes it's like, no, I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to talk to a camera and be old school style and because I don't have the time. I would love to have the time to sit there and like having fun with the toaster. People haven't seen it. My video yesterday, like I, I bought this toaster a year ago for a trainer that looks like a toaster. Uh, the trainer finally came out just in the last couple like month basically. Um, so I finally had the opportunity to do this video that I've been envisioning in my head for a year um, to do this like cinematic moves and all these sort of things. Uh, and yeah, I would love to be able to sit there and, and not play, but essentially play like little mini movie director um, for hours on end. But that unfortunately doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> Like I can only I can only make so many slices of toast before it's like yeah I've actually got to edit this thing and and be done with it. I was laughing. It was funny because my wife texted me yesterday at like I think four o'clock um, and she's like how's the how's the video going? I'm like good. I I haven't shot my A roll yet um, or edited yet. And she's kind of like what were you doing all day? I'm like, I've got some beautiful toaster footage. That's what I've got. I've got this toaster intro nailed. I've got um, everything done except for the video itself. Do you so. ever find yourself like you're, you're positioning lights around a toaster, a tripod, you know, you're moving lights and you're, you're, you're setting up diffusers and then you stop and think to yourself, what, what exactly am I doing right now? <laughs> There's a toaster. In the totally. That was totally the case. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, definitely. I think with this scenario worked out, I think, you know, it's something that every once in a while I like to have fun with things just because it's, you got to mix it up. Um, and in this case sure. it works, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of that for sure. <laughs> um, all right. One more question about your like personal stuff and then we'll get into a little bit more of the fitness tech and stuff like that. Uh, name one YouTube channel that would shock people that you are subscribed to or watch regularly. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. I think I do like all the the regular ones in the tech realm. So like MKBHD and you know Lions Tech Tips and like that realm of like tech stuff. And I do like the photo realm of people in the photo realm because I think you kind of cross those two boundaries when you start becoming a YouTuber. Um, and then I think like my outliers are I follow some aviation channels. Um, that are like aviation, obviously, airplanes and stuff like that. And then I'd say like the real outlier is a sailing channel I follow, uh, Sailing La Vagabond, which is just a, a couple that sailed um, across the ocean. They have a young child and they do their, their thing. And there's lots of sailing channels out there, but this one I've followed for a long time. So that's like my outlier of like, where'd that come from? Um, yeah, but so I think it's cool. I, no I like, love like there, the idea. There's no like, uh, no like ASMR videos or, uh, you know, someone, you know, uh, I don't know, smashing fruit or something. You know, there there's something for everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. I think uh, I'd say there may be things I subscribe to, but I don't even realize I subscribe to for the most part. But like in terms of videos, I actually watch that come into my feed. That'd probably be the the core circle there, if you will, um, of things. Cool. Uh, oh yeah. So I'm I'm really curious. Has DC Rainmaker, you know, testing gear all the time, wearing multiple watches, having to wear, have all the sensors on, has that affected your ability to actually train and feel like you're getting in shape? Or like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I mean, personally for me, getting four watches synced up with four different sensors and the whole thing, sometimes it, it like, it can, it can actually limit my distance in running because it takes so long to get set up and maybe some something to impair to my yep. phone and I'm like, oh crap, I got to start all over. Do you feel that pain as well? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a, 
it's not good for structured training in any way, shape or form. Um, I think like when I was doing more structured stuff, I guess like four or five years ago where I was kind of, you know, training for a very specific race and the whole season arced up to that race and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it was challenging for me or for my coach to be like, I've got to have a, an extra two bike workouts this week because I've got a bike review coming up or something to do with cycling or I've got to have this because I get this type of review to like fit that into a highly structured training plan is really, really tough. So in the last few years, I've definitely just done more ad lib training um, where I'm just, I don't want to say I'm training to the device, but I kind of am. I'm training to what I need to need to test. And so uh, like in the, you know, late summer, that tends to be cycling devices for a lot, of, a lot of times indoor training and stuff like that. And then this time of year, it tends to flow back into running. Uh, and then for the rest of the year, I'm just, I just kind of keep like a fairly constant level of fitness. It kind of goes up and down, but it's sort of it at a certain baseline, if you will, where I can go out and, you know, run a given distance without even thinking about it or go and ride a given distance and, and not really think about it. And then there are times where, uh, like in back in May and June, I started ramping up uh, the bike side a little bit more just just for the heck of it, for no particular purpose other than for fun. Um, That's cool. uh, but then, you know, I got midsummer and just kind of got back into other product reviews, had to get done, and so it tapered back down again. Do you still enjoy the process? Like, are you excited to strap on four watches and compare the data and be genuinely interested and, like, feel the passion of like, wow, the GPS in this watch and watch A is way better than watch B. Do you still feel that? I do when it's something that's cool. Um, yeah. uh, so like when a new product comes out that it's like, ah, oh, this will be really cool. So like going back to the kind of earlier discussion of like things that you look at and go, oh, I don't really want to deal with this um, are things that typically aren't exciting. Like that's why I don't want to deal with that. It's not because I think that company makes bad products or because the product is bad. It's just that it's not exciting. It's just kind of, more of the same. Um, so like I'm excited to go out and try something new that um, just for the sake of understanding it. Like today I just right as we hit the live stream, as we publish a live stream the first time, um, <laughs> then I, I hit publish on my own post about a, a new cross country skiing mode. Um, or, sorry, new power support for cross country skiing and Garmin devices. Uh, and I lack snow right now and I lack skis to ski on the snow and all those sort of things, but I still gave it my best effort out there to show how this worked. And then talking to the team behind on how it worked to me, that was exciting because uh, I've doesn't exist out there. So that's fun. I've never done it before. So that's fun. Um, and yes, it's, I'm definitely not skiing down my, uh, my local dirt trail right now, but to be able to understand how that works and to be able to, to, you know, go play with it outside and then come back in and be like, how did that actually work? And then to be emailing all night long with these folks back and forth on the nuances, the detail, and be like, ah, now I get it. So this works, but this doesn't work. And to me, that's interesting. That's fun to like explore something new versus if I get a watch where it's just more of the same, it's like, yeah, it's just another watch. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I've, I've got an interesting question for you. Have you ever been caught in the wild wearing an unreleased watch that is highly anticipated? <clears throat> like the next Phoenix 7 or uh, 955 that's been rumored forever. Uh, if you, have you been caught walking around town and someone be like, hey, man, what do, you, what do you got on there? What is that? No. Surprisingly not. It's, it's really astounding. So in, uh, in Paris, um, people didn't care or notice or anything. Like it just, I think because uh, in general, the number of people that are reading an English language site in Paris is much less than 
obviously if I was walking around the US, right? Um, versus here in the Netherlands, uh, English language proficiency is almost 100% in Amsterdam, if not 100%. So uh, people then have that crossover into reading the site more frequently. Um, still, I don't tend to train with people. Um, I don't tend to train near people. So I'm lucky in that I don't have to go to a office in the daytime. So my training time is any time during the day. And so I have to go off on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. and go out, run off in the woods or out in the middle of the countryside and I see nobody out there. Um, you know, the people I see are generally just on the streets near the office in here, but um, I don't think people tend to notice uh, for the most part, and, you know, I'm usually pretty good about hiding things, especially if things are obvious. Uh, so, um, but it's, there's, I don't, I don't know. I see the closest call I've had was um, two years ago, I think, when I was testing a bunch of new unreleased cycling computers, they're all released within like one week of each other. I think at the time it was like the Garmin Edge uh, 530, 830, and the Wahoo Roam. And they're all like one or two weeks apart. Uh, so I guess 2019. And I was down in Mallorca and I was just basically, again, I was trying to be in the middle of nowhere. Um, in the middle of the week, in the wrong season, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was going good. And there were certainly people out in Mallorca cycling all times a year, but I was off off the beaten path a bit uh, and come back up and there's one of those like photo booth peoples um, like where they take your picture out in the race course but on the side of the route and they were taking pictures and they were just taking pictures every going by and then you go onto the site and you look up you know where you were and it would see your picture um, and of course here's this you know zoomed in picture with a nice telephoto lens of like all three of those units on my handlebars at once and I'm like nice. oh and so, but it was, it was funny. I actually emailed the, the person behind it. Um, and I'm like, Hey, any chance you could just, I said, I love the pictures. They're great. I'm happy to buy them. And I did buy them. Uh, any chance you could just take them off the site. And they were super awesome, uh, about it. Like, yeah, no problem. Done. Um, and you know, in the grand scheme of things, what if someone have done all the time math to look at my Strava segments and then figure out where I was and then look up the pictures that, Probably not, but I didn't want to take the chance. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually filmed the entire uh, Polar, Polar Vantage V2 video wearing, um, I forget what, no, no, I, I filmed uh, another video wearing the Polar Vantage V2, and I had to retake the whole thing because I was wearing it before it was launched. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if anyone would notice I've done a. F Go ahead. Sorry. I've done a few of those where I'm like, oh, you get to the end of it, like, no, um, I've been shooting some stuff this week. And even before this live stream, I like purposely put certain boxes on certain cameras as a reminder to make sure I was not wearing certain things. Um, and just so like nothing would happen. Like I, I, cause that it's so easy to do. It's so easy, especially like in a live stream or something like that, or even like a quick video to not think about that. Um, but I'm constantly thinking about embargo timeframes and, overlapping stuff, especially even things like overlap like one hour. Um, like there were some cases back in September where one watch released one hour before uh, the next watch. Um, oh, it was the, it was a Garmin 745 and the GoPro Hero 9 and the embargoes were one <laughs> hour apart. And Ouch. I staggered everything so that they didn't overlap. And it, but it, it was one of those things where it's like, I hope that one of the other companies and that one of those two companies didn't decide to delay at the last second because my second one did include stuff from the first one, but it worked out. So, Wow. 
All right, so let's go ahead and shift gears and talk about the state of like GPS watches right now. Because I don't know about you, but it seems like there's going to be a shift coming soon with like the Apple Watch being so popular. It probably, probably the most, it, it's got to be the most uh, bought GPS wearable device on the market today. Uh, and then probably Garmin in second place, yep, I guess. Um, so yep, someone in the market, someone in the market for a, a watch with a really bright display. I think the whole thing with the market right now is people are getting sick of the stale, you know, dated looking, uh, transflective dis displays on Garmin's and Coros and Polar. Um, and so they're starting yep. to look at things like the Apple watch or a Google OS wear device. Um, what do you think is going to be like the next big <coughs> innovation in the space? Cause I don't think it's going to be solar panels to be honest. <laughs> No, it's it's not. Not for a while. I think uh, solar, I mean, not to get too distracted, I think solar is interesting like on Instinct. It's worked out really well there where it's actually a, a meaningful um, bump. Speaking of videos I've yet to publish, I spent like days a summer having um, out in the sun just testing all that and how long and how much you get and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of displays, I think in my mind, like everything's moving towards AMOLED or um, LED style displays. Like that's just the overarching trend. Uh, we certainly saw Garmin go towards that last um, last year with the Garmin Venue and the Vivoactive, or sorry, the Garmin Venue, and then this year um, the Venue SQ. Uh, and that's something where those are the displays people expect um, and uh, of watches in 2020. And yes, there is a segment, you know, the Ultra Runner segment that. Um, doesn't want that from a battery life standpoint, and that makes sense uh, in a lot of ways, but we're seeing that battery life argument continue to diminish in the AMOLED displays that are out there today in terms of um, certainly you're not going to get 50 hours on an AMOLED display of GPS time. Nobody's mm. saying you will, but you're getting to the point where it's like, you know what, you can get you know 10 to maybe even 20 hours of GPS on time in the right scenario, the right combination of stuff, and then you're maybe getting a solid three days of always on or, you know, four to six days of uh, not always on display uh, for standby. And for a lot of people, that's good enough. That's only going to increase. If you look at most of those watches are much smaller form factor watches versus a bigger, you know, like Phoenix sized or uh, Sunto um, uh, like nine sized uh, watch, which are much bigger watches and more battery capacity. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't see, I don't see the endurance watch realm um, continuing forever on uh, on the you know monochrome or you know barely colorful displays of like a Forerunner or Phoenix series today. I think a very eventually they'll get over to the AMOLED side in some way, shape, or form. Do you think that um, if Apple tomorrow released an Apple Watch with one week battery life, thirty hour GPS on time, and uh, OLED display, do you think <clears throat> Garmin would stand stand a chance anymore? It'd be tough. I think yeah. the one advantage Garmin would have would it be the sports ecosystem around it, um, which is a huge advantage. And I think that's something that, you know, the challenge with an Apple Watch from a, as you go beyond, I don't want to say just running a 5K because that sounds sounds demeaning or just running a marathon. Um, but if you go into more demanding sports scenarios where you're trying to do more around structural workouts or more around all these different things, the Apple Watch by itself requires additional apps. Like you can't just take a, an Apple Watch um, as it stands today with no third-party software and get the same experience as a Garmin or Polar or Sunto or Coros or fill-in-the-blank. Um, you have to add and layer in 
maybe not just one app, but a lot of apps out there. And some of those apps are, are really good. There's um, apps that do a great job of having a lot of different functions in them. But you're still having to like piecemeal this whole thing together to get that same sports ecosystem that you see on a, you know, a dedicated sport watch from all the boxes that are right behind you there. Uh, so that's something that we haven't seen Apple make any movements towards filling that gap. If we look at their changes in the last couple of years, um, last two to three years especially, they've made no changes to the underlying core or even, you know, non-core sports features. Um, you know, a handful of tiny things like adding in, you know, better dance calorie support and stuff like that this year. But we haven't seen them do anything that says, hey, we're going after, you know, Garmin Sunto, Polaris, market areas. What, uh, when you wake up in the morning and you're not testing some top secret watch, what is the first watch you reach for? Um, it's whatever's on my wrist. So uh, <laughs> I'd say in general, I'm wearing a, either a 945, a Garmin 945 or a, um, a Phoenix uh, 6 Pro is um, generally what I'm wearing. Right now I'm wearing a 745 just because it's been charged and been running with it lately and it's, I'm perfectly happy with this. So I'm, um, I think, you know, for the most part, I'm happy with a lot of watches on my wrist. Uh, I just, yeah. I'm not super picky. Um, I think sometimes folks might look at what I'm wearing or using and assume there's like a hugely specific reason why I used that watch on that day. The vast majority of the time, it's because the watch is charged. Like that's... <laughs> it's whatever has this charged and handy. Like it's literally, I have a pile of stuff around me. And I'm like, yeah, that one's charged. We're, we're using that one today. That's like, that's the number one YouTube, YouTube comment that kind of drives me nuts is uh, what's the best watch, right? It's like, come on, you got to give me more context to that, right? You got, are you, yeah. uh, are you yep. a runner or a cycler? Do you do CrossFit? Like there's got to be more to the conversation, but a lot of people just want to know what's the best one on the market how much does it cost? And I want it now, but yep. Ain't that easy, folks. Let's see who we got in the chat. We've got a whole bunch of people in here, and I haven't taken any yeah. chats yet. Great to see two of my lots favorites of working together. That's cool. Ray's the goat. <laughs> uh, Ray's the best. You got a lot of fans, Ray. Is is Ray wearing the red 745? I believe he just confirmed that. Uh, what, yep. do you guys, what do you guys think is the future in sports watches, thinner bezels, more data, more battery life, Maps? Question mark. I don't know. <laughs> All of the above. Um, I think to to large degree, I think it's um, you know Maps is is there in a lot of models today on on the Garmin side, and you can get Maps on the Apple Watch. And uh, I think as over time, you know that's going to become a requirement. It's easier now though for watch vendors to do that with OpenStreetMaps being far more. Um, accessible and more broadly um, detailed, if you will, um, out in the world that it's way easier for companies to implement that kind of stuff than it was when Garmin started doing that kind of thing, you know, many, many years ago. Um, I don't want to say it's an easy button uh, because Maps by itself is, Maps by itself is probably the easy button. Uh, the hard button is routing on Maps and that's something yeah. that is immensely difficult to do and uh, to do it right um, in a trail and cycling and that scenario is so difficult to do, uh, and it takes a lot of years of, I don't want to say failing, but having less than optimal results to get to the point that you can have good results in that realm. Yeah, Garmin was set up for success there because they had all of their history of GPS tracking and routing, and all they had to do is find a way to fit it yep. on their wrist, and away they went. But I tell you what, I, 
I really value it. I know a lot of people don't care about it, but I, I live by that. Like if I'm out, I, I use that return to start so often if I'm just out on the trails locally and I want to get back to my car quick, it'll just, yep. I'm, I'm right back to my car. Pretty awesome. Uh, hello from Italy. I, love I found it super channels. helpful. Oh, sorry. Delay. Yeah, keep going. No, no. I found it super helpful. Again, very similar to trail running. Like, I never use maps in the city here on my watch. Just simply don't. Um, or even while cycling, I, I don't for the most part on a watch. I use it occasionally on my edge unit, um, more if I have a defined route. But I find maps on my wrist incredibly useful when I'm um, trail running in, in the mountains somewhere to be able to know when I've come to a trail junction where those two things go um, because a lot of times it's not very clear and that's where having just a breadcrumb trail doesn't usually work like when you're sitting there with this junction it's like well they're both a bunch of squiggly lines um, to be able to kind of make some sort of observation using the data you see on that map is just super useful to me i totally agree uh hi from france cheers you two are great presenters of fitness tech thank you very much kafuzi yo thanks for joining man Ah, <laughs> Montreal, Canada. You guys are the best. Good questions. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Matt Legrand. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Uh, GPS watch overload recently. I totally agree. It's been uh, crazy. I mean, that's what we expect for our, from October time frame, right? That's that's when everybody's... That's the Techtober time frame. Yep. Um, yep. Oh, here we go. Coros Apex or Garmin uh, Foreigner 935. How do you feel about the Coros Apex? Right? Oh, that's... Uh, I like the, the Pace 2, um, to be honest, more. Uh, and I know the Coros Apex has the vast majority, if not every feature, I think. I can't remember. I, there's, I have to look and see which features didn't make it in the Apex versus which ones. I know there's a couple of nuance differences there um, on the, the port there they made. But I think the Pace 2 is just such an incredibly well-priced device and feature set for that $200 price point. Um, yeah. I see some other mentions here in the chat as well. Uh, they've made a killer device. And I, I think something that, you know, I've given Coros a hard time over the last year and a half is they tried to focus on this higher end watch realm of, you know, 400, 600, whatever um, priced watches. And that's from a company that had been known as sort of the budget um, offering, like super packed in features, just at a really good price. Um, and, I, I was excited to see the Pace 2 because it brought them back to the roots of being, we're going to throw down with features. We're going to be like, yeah. boom, these are an incredible amount of features for an incredible price. It's really hard to say no to. Um, and, yeah. you know, really the only differences there is sort of that software polish that you you don't quite get as much on the Coros side that you get on the other platforms out there. Um, but that's where I'm, I'm still hesitant when I look at, you know, the, the Apex and some of the other higher-end watches, the Vertex, it's really hard for me because I look at those and go, you're paying for something in the same price ballpark as like a high-end Forerunner or a Phoenix on, you know, on sale, for example. Like, yeah. And they're nowhere near the same watches anymore uh, versus when you get down to the Pace 2, you can go, oh, yeah, it's a very similar watch to you know, a, a 245 with that music or something like that. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. The first Pace 2 I got I, was actually defective. So I, I was testing it. And I was getting the, the worst GPS tracks possible. Like, I, I had to stand still on a clear day for 20 minutes to get it to lock. And then it just kept losing it back and forth. It would, you know, beep and tell me I was off. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I actually gave it kind of a negative review and I, I felt bad about it, but then they actually just sent me a new one, I think a couple of days ago. Um, and I've already tested it and it's rock solid. So it was just a defective device. Anybody who saw that video, um, disregard that comment because it's, it's much better now, but yeah, I, I'm really impressed with it. The running power on the wrist is really awesome. And the fact that it aligns with the stride pod so closely is something that like, it's kind of magic. <laughs> it's really amazing. It's, yeah, I, I was really interested in that. It's something I poked kind of both sides of that equation, the stride side and the chorus side to be like, did you guys, did someone have an investment there? Did someone like share algorithms and both sides are pretty adamant. Um, I would say bordering on angry, but like <laughs> got a close that, um, that they did not share things with each other uh, in that realm. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that's something that it's super impressive. What Coros did there is incredibly impressive. Um, and I, I'm excited to see where they, they go. Uh, and, you know, the, I don't know what they're, uh, I don't know, like, how they measure success. Because um, it's hard from market share standpoint to break in and show, you know, meaningful numbers um, in the grand scheme of the market. Um, so I think they have to keep on, like, chugging at it. Um, I'd love to see them really focus over the next six to nine months on that software side, on the app side, and really polishing that and making that sort of match what they have on the watch side. Um, Cause the watch is really, really good, but I just feel like I open up the app and it's like, Oh, um, it's better though. so it's I, I love to see them focus on that a bit. It's gotten way better than it was like a year ago or even two years ago. They keep on adding to it. Um, but I just feel like it just needs that needs to really pull things together. Um, but again, I'm super excited for that. And I think they're making a, a compelling case that, you know, what you can do in a, a sub $200 watch. And that's great for everyone. I think it's, even if you don't end up buying a Chorus watch, that is absolutely impacting Garmin's product development plans. That's impacting Polars and Suntos and everyone's. And that's good for consumers. And um, I think having more competition is, is definitely better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, guys, what do you think about collecting too much data? We're at the point where our devices can collect so much data that it might make us get too caught up on what our data looks like. Any thoughts? Are we overcomplicating it, Ray? <clears throat> I think there's definitely a case of that. I think um, I think you can get lost in the weeds really, really easily, uh, and you see that, you know, especially on a Garmin device, it collects so much data, and uh, you know, some of it's useful and some of it not at all, um, and some of it is factually proven and some of it is just, you know, an idea or a, a theory. Um, and I think, you know, one area that I, that really came to a head was the Fitbit Sense uh, in the last, you know, couple weeks or so uh, with that where they made a watch around collecting all this health data that's designed to sense everything as the name implies and designed to be your eyes and ears in this COVID kind of era. Um, and it didn't actually deliver on that. It collected data poorly, um, but even when it did collect the data, it didn't tell you what to do for any of the metrics it says. Like, there's no, there's no guidance, where at least, at least with Garmin and Polar and Sunto, when they're collecting this data, they're saying, like, from a trending standpoint, um, hey, you should, you should lay off a bit, you should recover a bit, you should sleep more. We're seeing those sort of tie-ins happen. Um, otherwise, it's just data for the sake of data, and it's something that I think, I think some of the companies are starting to get. I think we're seeing that from Garmin and Polar especially on taking all this data and actually providing actionable intelligence for what to do with it as opposed to just simply saying, here's another number that you have to go decode. 
Yeah, yeah, I give Polar a lot of credit for that. They've really kind of made it easy to digest all of those metrics and not just look at a bunch of graphs and be like, what, what am I doing here? What would I do tomorrow? Am I overtraining or what? Um, I, I give them credit for that. I really, you know, I wish Polar would uh, polish their UI a little bit. Like I'm, I'm a little sick of the, of like the DOS based UI we yeah. all see. Um, but you know, yeah. they, they really know how to aggregate the data and make it actually <coughs> functional and usable in the app on the website and even on the watch itself. Yep. We got uh, Desfit in the house here. Welcome. Don't be rude. It's in the description. Mr. Oh. Des. Goku Runner. For what it's for what is such a large investment for most people, it's great to have such detailed reviews. You guys probably prevent more purchases purchase regret than you realize. <coughs> That's nice. Hi Des. She's saying hi. Or is that <laughs> Jose? He's saying hi. Sorry. Uh, Garmin four hundred two forty five or Coros Pace two. I think we just kind of went through that. Although. I don't know. Like, if I had to choose between one of those two uh, for for the price point, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a battery life guy. I might lean towards the Pace Two, uh, but the 400 245 will give you a lot more in terms of like smart features, calendar integration. Um, it's a toss up. What do you think, Ray? It's tough. I would say you know, like if you're a triathlete, easy Coros Pace Two because the 245 doesn't have um, doesn't have triathlon features. If you're a runner, I think it depends a little bit on what you're going to run with it. Um, in that, you know, 245 has things like Pace Pro, which can be super useful, especially on non-flat terrain. On flat terrain around here, it's mostly useless, but on rolling terrain to be able to get different splits based on the, you know, terrain and stuff like that is, is really interesting. Um, inversely, it doesn't have native running power. Uh, you know, whether or not people find that valuable is probably up to them, um, but that's a really tough one. I think that's one you really have to sit there and kind of go through the features and figure out what you're actually going to to use. Yeah, uh, you know, my the weird thing about the, the 245 is it kind of like, in my opinion, so the 745 is a multi-sport watch, but the 245 actually has slightly better battery life, and that is really weird to me. <laughs> also, uh, the you know the, the Pace Pro you just mentioned, um, you can't dial it back for ultra marathons. That's something I've run into several times. I, mm. I forget what the limit is, but it's like 12 minute pace or 13 minute pace or something. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, but ultra runners are up in the 15 minute, 16 minute <laughs> pace, you know, for a hundred miler, that takes a while. So I yeah. would love to see them incorporate that in the pace pro. That's one thing that has driven me nuts. And if you look on the forums in Garmin, uh, there's a lot of conversation about it. So like, it's, it seems like a button. They just need to t type in a new number and they'd be able to fix that. But I haven't seen that happen yet. Yep. Uh, great content and questions so far, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome, Desfit. Are we missing GP GP Llama? Should have invited him. Uh, Ryan Clayton, the toaster. Oh, I saw video. him down later on, though. He's down uh, <laughs> down lower oh, he's than further the down. there. So there he is. Yeah. Uh, the toaster <laughs> video is great. Uh, Fikir Hunter, great questions. Uh, one question. I have a deal with the Phoenix 5X. Here's a question. Is it worth buying one of the older older devices knowing that Garmin isn't going to add more features to them, but are they going to continue to update it to keep it relevant with Garmin Connect? I guess where's the limit for when your watch is going to fall off their radar and it's not going to sync with your phone anymore? We haven't found it yet. Um, I was I was playing with the the Garmin Forerunner 305 back about a month or two ago. Maybe it's been sometime in the summer. Um, getting that to to work with uh, Garmin Connect and Garmin Express. This is a watch that's now, I think it was 2007, so we're talking 13 years old. 
Um, and it worked. Like, <laughs> all the things worked. Um, that's bizarre. It's really astounding. Uh, <laughs> and so that's something where, and that's part of Garmin's, like, uh, thing in life is that they're supporting products that are crazy old because that's just what they do. Um, and so that mostly stems out of like the aviation side and you know, the marine side where, you know, you expect an airplane to have something in there for a decade or, or longer easily. So that that's sort of what they, they think about. And of course, as noted, it's not going to have new features on it. Um, and I think, you know, if you're okay with that, and there's some incredible deals. Like we see this, especially this time of year where you're going to see, you know, the Phoenix 5 or the Phoenix 5 Plus. Like we just saw the Phoenix um, 5 was 249 this past week. $249 for a Phoenix 5. That's insane. It's crazy. And the Phoenix 5 Plus then was, I think, 349 again, for like a one-day Amazon sale or something like that. I mean, it's really, they're really incredible deals. And, you know, if you don't get too caught up in, essentially what you and I do, right? If you don't get too caught up in all the latest features and all these sort of things and go back to watch like a video from two years ago and be like, they were excited about that watch then, it's still the same watch. In fact, it's definitely better than it was then because now Garmin over the course of that year and a half or so until they release the next version has added a boatload of features because they do tend to add a boatload of features from the, the point that you and I review a watch until um, the point that they stop releasing new features Garmin adds way more features than people ever give them credit for. Uh, yeah. And I mean, even just today with the cross-country skiing that we just talked about earlier, like that wasn't there at launch. Uh, and, and now a year later, it's now there. And so um, I think if you look at those older watches and if you're good with those features and look at the change log, go to, you can literally type in Google, you know, Garmin Phoenix 5 plus firmware update. If you type that in Google, it takes you to the firmware update page and you can see all the new things that were added and figure out if that like fills in the gaps uh, for what you want. Yeah, I actually uh, made a video about the 945 recently because it got a whole bunch of new features in the past from the firmware 5.0 to 5.2 update. It's got basically everything the 745 has and they knocked $100 off it. So I'm like, why would you buy a 745 yep. when the 945 <laughs> is exactly the same price with more features, right? And it's it's funny how yep. many people uh, actually talk about the bezels and they, they want the thinner bezels, so they'll spend, they'll essentially get a worse value to get the thinner bezels. So that's something we'll, we'll, we'll need to yeah. see them work on in the future, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The 745 pricing has always been kind of a funny nut, um, I guess always being, you know, a month and a half or whatever, but I just, I continue to think it's overpriced. At the same time, it's hard to say that because Garmin sells out everywhere on them. And so it's one of those, like, it's hard to have that conversation of this is overpriced, when it sells out, like there's no, yeah. Uh, how do you argue that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Is the uh, Sunto Nine Barrow still worth buying, or is, or will Sunto update it soon? Honestly, I hope they update it soon because that is becoming a dated, uh, dated piece of equipment by today's standards. It's it's definitely dated at this point. I think that's a tough pitch. I mean, we saw it for sale a couple weeks ago for forty seven percent off. Um, like. <laughs> That's nobody's selling any forty-seven percent off, so that's that's tough. I just don't, I don't under, I don't know how Sunto is going to get their mojo back, um, which is I think the challenge at this point. Like they've, um, if you look back three, four years ago, Sunto dominated in the ultra scene, um, completely dominated. I was at um, UTMB, not running, just just there, um, and. 
I kind of watched this uh, one afternoon passing by, and it was like 90-something percent uh, Sunto, like not even close. Uh, I mean, you saw like the occasional Garmin float by. Um, but now that, that tide has changed a lot, um, and I think it's really challenging. I think, I think Sunto's best bet is really focusing more on the Sunto 7 um, side of it, like the Wear OS side of it, and mm. really embracing that and just being like, this is – this is where we can win. And I think they can do incredibly well there um, with a watch that's, you know, riding on the Wear OS realm and really getting those sports features ported into that so that people can have that choice we talked about earlier of saying, you know what, I want a Apple Watch-like experience of something that is, you know, a pretty watch for day-to-day -day stuff and a great, um, you know, 24 by 7 type watch. But when I want to go off on the trails, I can still do that. And uh, Sunto had a good firmware update in his back in September with the Sunto 7 in terms of adding some of the trail navigation bits and things like that and kind of making those steps. And I think they're going to continue to make those steps. Um, but if I was Sunto, I would say Sunto 9 series, you've been, you've been good, but I would really double, triple down on the Sunto 7 is, is that, that point. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's interesting when you mentioned the ultras, because I think a lot of the bigger names like Courtney DeWalter and, and I think Killian, um, they're actually sponsored by yeah. Sunto. So they're still wearing the nine right now. <laughs> so it'd be yeah. good to see them uh, update that so they don't have to wear them anymore. Uh, all right, yeah. let's see. Best watch. All right, here's a good one. Uh, the best sleep tracking you found on any watch. A lot of people seem to care about this. I don't personally use it much. And I think one of the comments I see all the time is, it doesn't pick up my naps, man. I'm like, I, I have three kids, I don't nap. So yeah. what which watch does pick up a nap? <laughs> that's that's the uh, curious thing. Uh, Fitbit, Fitbit does, that's it. Um, that's basically it. Uh, I don't know of anyone else that actually picks up naps correctly. Um, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, actually, for Whip does as well. The Whip band does, um, but oh, it's, even its napping logic is weird though. Because if you take a nap with a Whip band, it'll subtract it from your next night's sleep that it thinks you need. So, um, like the example I've given where this this all fails is that I step off a red eye flight in another year. That's not 2020, um, and <laughs> I have let's say two hours of sleep going across the Atlantic, and now I'm sleep deprived. Right, so I take a nap for let's just call it an hour and a half. And now at that point, Whoop says, great, tomorrow night you can sleep an hour and a half less. And it'll actually tell you you can sleep an hour and a half less. It says you reduced your sleep allocation need for tomorrow night to, by an hour and a half. And I'm like, I'm still making up for last night. I, we don't even want to talk about tomorrow yet. And so that's where it's like, yeah, you nailed the nap, but your guidance is not, there's no, there's no scientific backing for that. You can subtract it from the next night's sleep. That's not how it works. Yeah. So that's so. saying that, that's saying if you slept for 24 hours straight, you could take off like a week of sleep. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You could be really productive. Basically, it's it's <laughs> it's next level. <laughs> All right, we got GP Llama in the house. Are we seeing the demise of Ant Plus? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question because you see more and more Bluetooth connected devices. <laughs> But probably more in the cycling and triathlete realm is where Ant Plus is still a thing, yep. right? Yeah, it's tough. It's I'm sure like if, if you were to sit back and look at a number of Ant Plus connected devices, it's probably accelerating more and more each year because every sensor these days is dual Ant Plus and Bluetooth smart. Um, like I bet the number of Ant Plus devices today is way more than 
you know, five years ago, like tremendously more. Um, but the focus on developing on App Plus has started to decrease. Um, and I think that's, that's a tough thing because while there are many, 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 many benefits to Bluetooth Smart, notably it works on an iPhone, um, the, the strictness of the protocols on Bluetooth Smart for the sports realm in particular tend to be very loose and tend to not be super well-defined. Um, and we see that in cases of power meters, for example, and uh, plenty of other profiles. Whereas AMP Plus has a reputation from a sport profile standpoint of having very strict profiles so that by and large, when you get an AMP Plus device, it's always going to work with AMP Plus stuff. Like it's really, really good at that. Um, and they've got a lot of processes around making that happen. The challenge is those processes tend to take a long time and are slow moving and, 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 and. Um, and of course, the overarching, not issue, is that Garmin owns it all. Um, and I think that's something that people probably overthink to some degree. Like, Amp Plus has been around for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, all their competitors use it. And it doesn't really bother people that much in the grand scope of things. Uh, I think that's one that consumers care about that more than actual companies care about because um, it's still that way that those devices communicate uh, and communicate reliably. Um, mm. But I think in terms of like seeing AMP Plus be a driving force in, it's tough. Uh, I think they are behind the scenes uh, in terms of protocols and defining new ways that devices communicate. Like you see like Varia Radar, for example, there's an AMP Plus profile for that. And there are different AMP Plus profiles for things, but um, I think it's more going to be behind the scenes than it is in the consumer's like consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, we're going to skip ahead because we're coming up in an hour, guys. I think, what do you say, Ray? Five more minutes of questions and then we will... Uh... Yep. Who are you responding to in the chat? You could just talk. <laughs> I was responding to my, to, to my wife who asked whether I fed the dog. <laughs> so what did she ask in the chat? <laughs> um, so nope, did not feed Lucy. She probably forgot about that. She's probably hungry. <laughs> there we go. Oh, See, you solving that. I problems. I, I hope my dog's fed. Con poor Conan's out there. The family's out tonight, so he might, not, he might need some dinner. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're going to take a couple of more questions. Uh, for people who don't know, Ray, right now, what are you, you're coming up on 11 p.m. at night, right? Yep. Yeah, wow. Not too bad. Thanks so much for joining me, man. It means a lot. Um, okay, let's see. A couple more questions, then we're going to wrap it up. Message deleted by Google Moderator Team. Wow, somebody said something really nasty about us. <laughs> uh, uh I bought a couple of pieces of gear recently, and I've been very happy with it because of DC Raymaker's reviews. So thank you so much. That's nice. Uh, da, da, da. I love the 305 brick. <laughs> I think everyone did. <laughs> Such a good. It's a, like it's just everyone. Yeah, it's amazing. It's funny though because I was talking to someone about something the other day, and um, like people forget though the three, the 305 wasn't waterproof. Like you couldn't swim with it. Oh, you couldn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So like when you things so like that you forget like back in the day, those watches yeah. So if you're a triathlete and you're wearing the three oh five, you run you get off your bike, you run up to the swim, and then you take your watch off and throw it on the ground and, and swim and then come back to it? Is that the plan? 
Yeah, so the swim swim's always first though, so you're good there. So you start with it. Um, so people put it in plastic baggies. Like, so I've got old posts where I put a plastic baggie on top of my swim cap, and I'll capture the swim, and then you go on to bike and run. But yeah, the 305 wasn't waterproof. In fact, for a long time, a lot of a lot of sports watches that are GPS sports watches were not waterproof from Garmin and from other companies as well. And it was a weird a weird era. I remember like making fun of companies for that for years because you could go to Walmart and buy a $15 anything watch from the watch aisle and it would have waterproofing to whatever spec you wanted it to. Um, <laughs> you had to have a three to $500 GPS watch didn't. <laughs> uh, both these guys have three kids and successful YouTube channels. This is crazy. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, all right. I, I think with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. What do you think, Ray? You think you're ready for bed now after all that talking? Ready for yeah, it's it's eleven o'clock, which you know, just time for one of those three children to to wake up and yeah, just uh, it's, as you know, it's the the circle of wake ups, right? Just never really ends. So. Yeah, yeah. One one starts crying, that triggers the other one, and then the older one's awake because the other two are crying. Yeah, I I know the whole I know the whole routine. Okay, it's it's uh, the whole big, scheme. Oh yeah. All right, uh, with that, uh, we are going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you, everybody in the chat, for joining us. And, uh, yeah, uh, if you enjoyed this, make sure you give us a thumbs up, subscribe. Go check out Ray's channel. I got him linked down in the description. Make sure you buy one of his uh, sweet – you got that uh, Christmas sweater T-shirt. I really want that. So I might I might pick one of those up. Yeah, we do have that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> check out his uh, merch store for one of those. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for joining, everybody. Okay, and that's the end of the episode. That was the whole conversation with Ray Maker from Thursday, October 29th. I want to thank Ray for coming on the live stream. It was a real pleasure having him on. And uh, hopefully I'll get some more exciting guests in the future, which will also end up on this podcast as new episodes. So I'm pretty excited about that as well. Okay, I don't really know how to talk on these things or end them because I'm not using a camera. I'm just talking to a microphone. It's kind of weird. So yeah, I guess this is the end of the podcast episode. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more upcoming episodes on the podcast. I'm really excited to have another platform to uh, share my thoughts on. So, uh, bye.